0: Well, once again, good morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. As we continue our series in Jonah, we are going to be looking at chapter 2 today. Uh, chapter 2, as you will soon find out as we read it, is about 10 verse. not about, it is exactly 10 verses long. And uh, it is a prayer that Jonah offers um, kind of from the belly of the well, so to speak, or fish or giant Goliath grouper somebody yelled out last week, or <laughs> whatever uh, giant monstrosity of sea creature could swallow a man. So uh, I'm excited about this morning. It's You know, it's one of those chapters where you can read it and uh, other, you know, it, it, it's one of those things you can read and just read, right? And then move on and not think much of it. But there's really a lot that's going on in Jonah chapter 2. And so I'm excited for where the message that it has for us today and, and just... I enjoyed studying it. I wrote about uh, four different sermons this week over Jonah chapter two. Not saying that there's that much different that you can say. It's just like I'd start to study and then something else would hit me, and then I'd study some more and something else, and I'm like, well, I gotta go back and. So uh, I don't know that this is going to be fantastic, but it's what I came up with. So Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, let's read. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The first thing I kind of took away from, from reading Jonah chapter two and studying it all week was this, that the natural reaction to finding ourselves in the belly of the whale would be to ask for deliverance. But Jonah's prayer was primarily one of thanksgiving. It was primarily one of thanksgiving. That's how it started out by him thanking the Lord for what the Lord had done in that moment. Now, Jonah was in a, a unique spot, a spot that I think that the majority of us can probably relate to because he recognized that God is in control of the waves and the billows. He refers to them as your waves and your billows, right? He, he experiences and realizes that God is kind of in control of this situation. And, and maybe just a little bit, this situation is a... Uh, a punishment, if you will—I don't even want to kind of use that word—but just the natural reaction of what takes place when you flee from God. That you tend to find yourself being overwhelmed by the waves and the billows of that situation. But while there, he also recognizes that he is amongst the waves because of his own choices right? Like these are your waves. These are your your billows. You were kind of bringing about my destruction, but yeah, it's me who got me in this spot in the first place. And so they were choices that, that weren't really godly choices. And Jonah realizes this, but he also realizes that God has the ultimate determination over our destination. So in no form or fashion is he blaming God for where he finds himself. He recognizes that it's a situation of his own making, but he also recognizes that if there's anyone who can change this situation that he's in, it's God. God is ultimately in control. Not only is he in control of the billows and the waves, but he is also in control of Jonah being able to be rescued, so to speak, from this situation. And Jonah's situation in this moment is frankly, that he's headed for certain death. And so he's not even asking for deliverance from this certain death. He's just kind of recounting what's taking place and recognizing that things can change if he changes. So in verse four, he kind of makes mention of his repentance. It says that he is driven from God's sight, yet confident that he will see God's holy temple. And so there's some debate about what he really means Uh, when he says that. Is he talking about the physical temple? Is he talking about just merely being in the presence of God? And I tend to lead to the second kind of viewpoint of that, that that he is recognizing that even though he has gotten himself into this situation, even though it's going to most certainly mean death for him, his death is not going to be the end. He repents and he recognizes that through repentance he will be in God's presence Again, so driven from God's sight, yet fully confident that he's going to see God's holy temple, something that can really only happen if we experience repentance and the renewal of our faith that comes through that repentance. You see, circumstances often lead us to repentance and renewal, Circumstances often lead us to repentance and renewal, and sometimes we, we get ourselves there, and sometimes uh, maybe we're led to that place, but we need to be thankful for whatever event takes place that gets us to that point. Now, it sounds pretty strange to be thankful for um, drowning, right? Because <laughs> that's what's taking place. He is, being, he is thankful uh, for, for drowning, But we we need to be thankful for whatever event gets us to the place of renewal and repentance. For me, it was a drug addiction, and it was depression, and it was experiencing what should have been death on numerous occasions that frankly did not end in death. I can relate to Jonah's situation uh, pretty easily, actually, because I can think back to all the times where I should have died, and for whatever reason, God didn't, right? Didn't, and so a lot of us have that wake-up call moment where we kind of hit rock bottom or find ourselves, as he says, at the foundation of the mountains, right? Where we are just being crushed by the waves, being crushed by the weight of our circumstances And the only option for us is to really cry out to God and to repent and to seek Him being God in that situation, right? Rescuing us from that situation. And Jonah's situation, obviously uh, less than ideal. Let's start off with the fact that he's drowning. Hey, not good, in case you were wondering. Drowning, not good. Uh, He's covered by sea vegetation right? The weeds are around his face. I don't know if you've ever like had a water plant touch your body, but it is the grossest thing ever. Like drowning is worse than that. But in my opinion, not a whole lot. Right? You ever been out in the ocean, like, and something brushes, and you're like, "Oh, it's just slimy and gross, and like, feels like you're about to die." Okay. So not only is he about to die, but he also really feels like he is about to die, and he's laying in what would be his final resting place. He talks about being behind the bars, being kind of imprisoned in this tomb underneath the ocean, and and death is going to be his only relief, and it's in that moment that he repents and we see that God sends this giant fish, it says, to rescue him. Now, this is something that Jonah feels blessed by. I want you to think about being in such a scenario that getting swallowed by a giant fish is like, thank you, God, okay? This is cool, right? Now, the reason being is because while it's bad, Jonah also recognizes he's not dead, right? So the worst situation alive is better than being dead okay and there's something poetic in that and there's something true in that and and there's just something uh, in my mind that is that is life breathing in that realization that even though things right now are not good i can breathe even though things right now seem helpless i'm alive right and for him there's beauty in this circumstance His prayer is answered because it's at the bottom, right? We talk about his prayer starts out as one of thanksgiving, but as he is just being crushed by the scenario and the situation, he repents and he cries out to God of just like, I I just need to see your holy temple once again. And and I don't think that he thinks maybe he is going to live. I don't think that he expects God to send a giant fish uh, to rescue him. I don't think this is like Aladdin, where the genie falls into the ocean and rockets you out of it, right? Like, that's not taking place. He doesn't expect that to take place, but he just wants to be in God's presence once again, and and God, like God so often does, comes in and does above and beyond what we could ever hope for or expect, Right? Prayers were answered, the impossible was accomplished, and salvation came through calamity. You see, God often uses less than ideal circumstances to, to to solidify our deliverance, okay? When we talk about salvation, there's really two things that occur. There's justification, which happens at the moment. And it's so interesting that we talked about, this was kind of in our Sunday school lesson this morning, but there's justification, which happens in the moment, Right? The moment that we kind of commit ourselves to Christ, the moment we turn ourselves over to Christ, we receive that justification. But then there's this process of sanctification that takes us kind of to where we end up being the final product of salvation taking place. And God often uses less than ideal circumstances to get us to the solidification of our deliverance to sanctify us. You see, oftentimes we repent, we make life changes, and then it seems as if disaster strikes. Why now? Why now? Why not before? Why after I've got all my ducks lined up in a row, right? Why after I've kind of figured this thing out? Why now is it difficult? Why now am I, am I having to deal with these trials and with these tribulations? But trials may just be the answer to our prayers, especially if that prayer is to become more like Christ, right? Now, some of us find ourselves in Jonah's situations, which we've caused. Some of us find ourselves in Job's situations where there really is no cause, and it's just Satan trying to get us to turn our back on God, right? I mean, both of those things happen in life. And if you didn't know that, I guess now you do. Right? Spiritual warfare is a real thing. And Satan is going to attack you when he thinks he can, when he thinks you're vulnerable, when he thinks he has an opportunity to pull you away from God. He is going to attack. It just happens. And so sometimes you're like, I don't feel like I've done anything. And the answer is you haven't other than you're drawing close to God and that's where Satan doesn't want you to be. Okay, It's just me being frank. But when we Desire to become more like Christ, those trials can be the answer to our prayer. Now, fire can certainly destroy, and for some, it pushes them away from the faith. But when God is monitoring the flames, it can also refine and purify us. It can solidify our destination, right? And it works ultimately to cement the resolve uh, that we have to finish the task that's laid before us as we finish our race towards, as Jonah puts it, God's holy temple. We are chasing after being in God's holy temple. In James chapter 1, 2 through 2-3, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so often, that's what we are experiencing, and it's a lot of what Jonah is experiencing in this time. Because when we experience that, it can only lead us, um, or really only end in us being in the same spot that Jonah is that we see in verses eight and nine when he says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord see Jonah's cycle is a familiar one he turns from the Lord he chooses a path of convenience and self-service it's what he wants he doesn't want to go to Nineveh so he goes the opposite direction It results in less than desirable circumstances. He repents. He experiences grace and deliverance from God, even if it's by less than ideal circumstances. He's able to recognize the redemptive work in what God has done through those less than ideal circumstances. I mean, tell me you haven't been there before, right? You're going through the trial, and you feel like, man, this is going to be the end of me, and then you get on the other side of that, and you think, you know, that really was one of the best things that could have happened to me. And I could tell you life story after life story. I broke my back. It was awful in the moment. Would not be here today if that hadn't happened in the first place. Diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I am so much more empathetic and vulnerable and frankly, in touch with my emotions. A place that I was not before that had taken place in a place that I would not have never gotten to had I not experienced those types of trials and tribulations. Jerrica and I get married. We find out we're pregnant with Cordelia. And, and I say we, she's pre- you know, she did all the hard work. She's the one that almost died. Uh, and, and that situation did not go at all ideal like um, we thought it would. And the doctor, I've, I've shared this story, but basically told me, hey, we are going to be surprised just to prepare you. We will be surprised if your baby or your wife makes it out of the situation. So I've been married a little over a year here, and, and, and now I'm going to be widowed. And not only that, I thought I was going to have this child, and now I'm not going to have this child. And I have these stories. I can just keep going and going and going. And all of these things that in the moment were overwhelming, all of these things that were crushing me, all of these things that I looked at God, and when I could say, your waves and your billows are overwhelming me. I am drowning here only to find rescue, have made me a stronger, better human being and have made me a stronger and better follower of God because I recognize that no matter what I'm facing, God can and will use it to make me a better human being. That is called spiritual maturity and it doesn't come overnight, it doesn't. It's a difficult place to get to. It's difficult to ever be comfortable there. It's difficult to feel like in this moment you're not being punished. But when we can kind of flip our viewpoint and and think about how is God using this moment to make me better, right, everything kind of changes. And Jonah, honestly, if we're being honest, doesn't really even get that far in this moment. He just knows that he was going to die and now he's not. Now he's not. And so after recognizing the redemptive work of God through what God has done, he takes the next right step, which is to recommit himself to his relationship with God. To say, I will give you my offerings, I will give you my time, I will do what it is you're calling me to do. And it's at that moment when he finally makes that choice and that decision, he commits himself to God that the fish vomits him, strong word choice once again, onto dry land. So here's what we need to understand about trials. Trials lead us to God, sometimes for the first time and sometimes back. They strengthen our prayer lives. I can tell you that I have never prayed more than in those moments. I have never prayed more sincerely or earnestly than in those moments when I felt like I just can't. I, personally, me, can't. But that's one of the things that trials help us do. They help us to appreciate God and the blessings that we have experienced. They equip us to comfort others. Because I have been through this, I can now help others who are going through the same thing. And each one of us has a unique story of things that we've dealt with, of things that we've struggled with, that now make us a more empathetic and complete person who is able to not just love God, but love others, right? that's one of the things that trials does for us they all it all they also remind us that earth isn't our true home as they prepare us for the weight of his glory and while your trials may be bigger than you they are not bigger than God and this is what I came up with this week and it's one it's one of those things I'm I mean, I feel like it's a God thing, but I'm kind of proud of, okay? It's pithy. Deserves to be on a T-shirt. But here's my advice. Lay your trials at the feet of Jesus, or the feet of the Father, I should say. Follow the feet of the Son and trust the feet of the Holy Spirit. You've got to see the difference in the spelling of feet. Lay your trials at the feet of the Father. Follow the feet of the Son and trust the feet of the Holy Spirit because they are all working on your behalf to bring about an outcome that otherwise would not take place. God is on your side. Christ died for you, and the Spirit is a gift given to you to lead you through that day-to-day struggle. And if Jonah would have just listened in the first place, he never would have had to deal with that. But you know what? We all have a little bit of Jonah in us. We all have those times and those moments where we could say, Man, if I would have just listened in the first place. Right, Mom? If I would have just listened in the first place, this never would have happened. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now in this moment, and I thank you for this day, and there. I thank you for the story of Jonah. I thank you for how relatable the story of Jonah is. God, all of us know what it feels like to make the wrong decision. All of us knows what it feels like to not listen when you're calling us to go in a certain direction. And Lord, so many of us have experienced trials and tribulations because of that. And so many of us have experienced trials and tribulations simply because Satan is trying to derail us from the path that we are trying to walk down. God, I... I, I and thankful that you are a God who accepts repentance, who is ready and willing to offer forgiveness. If we will just sincerely approach you and frankly apologize for being knuckleheads. You are a big God who can do big things. You are in control of all things. And God, when we feel out of control, sometimes we are in that place so we can recognize that you are in control. Lord, if we can just lay our trials at your feet and if we can just follow the example that Christ has laid out for us and if we will just trust the work of the Spirit in our lives, if we will let go of the reins and give you control, then even as we are being crushed by the wind and the waves and the seas, even as we are being surrounded by the weeds in the ocean, even as we are laying in what feels like our final resting place, even as we are in our last moments, God, there can be rescue. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far away we are from our destruction, whether it's years, months, days, weeks, hours, minutes, even seconds. If we will call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord will answer. Lord, give us faith. Give us faith. Convict us of the things that we need to turn over to you. Convict us of the things that we need to let go. Help us to rely on you in the moments where we seek to rely only on ourselves. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name, amen. Stand with me, we're gonna worship. We're gonna worship first and foremost because God is worthy of that worship. And so we are going to give him an offering of praise here this morning. But in this time, you may also recognize that you need to pray for whatever you are dealing with in your life. You need to pray. And so I would ask, come pray with me or come use the stage as an altar to pray up here. Some of you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Some of you need to commit your life to Jesus for the first time. I don't know where you are in your story, I don't know where you are in your walk, but I do know this, that if you will call upon the Lord, if you will repent earnestly, you will experience salvation that is supernatural. You will experience that which only He can give you. And while the Bible says, do not put your Lord to the test, I guess I would encourage you to test what I'm telling you. Call on God, He will answer. Let's worship.